In the 1970s, a future top-notch podcasting team was born, and then raised on military bases because their dads were in the Air Force. These Gen Xers eventually grew up and were unleashed upon the world. Today, looking forward to retirement, they survive by dishing out their opinions. If you have questions that need answers and an open mind, if you can spare 60 minutes a week, and if you have internet access, maybe you can listen to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. Now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. What might be right for you may not be right for some. But do you know what is right? The fact that you are here with this now for the next 60-ish minutes. Listening friends, welcome back. We are all here together again. I am thrilled about it. And if you didn't already know, I'm Kenyatta. And that fine gentleman over there is Jack. Say hi, Jack. Hi, Jack. Sorry, I had to dad joke it. Had to dad joke it. <laughs> Been a dad for a long time, so it just comes natural sometimes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But, Not necessarily in your case, just in general with that. So that's right. But, that is true. So how goes it? You know, it it's going the same as always. <laughs> Indeed. And yeah, so that's... That's just the way it is, I guess. It is. And listening, friends, in case you're curious about what the heck I just said to open up this episode, it's the first couple of lines from the theme song of a very popular 70s, 80s show called Different Strokes, yep. starring the now deceased Gary Coleman as the youngest of two African-American brothers who were adopted by a very wealthy white man named Philip Drummond. Yep. That theme song was written by a very popular songwriting duo in the 70s and 80s. You may know him as Robin Thicke's daddy. We of a certain age know him as Alan Thicke. Singer, songwriter, actor, extraordinary, may rest in peace. Sitcom dad. Indeed. Indeed. So a little bit of trivia throw out there. That song was written by Robin Thicke's daddy. And Robin Thicke looks just like his daddy. So there's your frame of reference. There you go. That's the pop culture. The the pop culture bloop. Yeah. Yeah. Gary Coleman's one of the more tragic stories in Hollywood because Mm -hmm. not only did like Hollywood kind of take advantage of him, his parents screwed him over even more. Mm Mm-hmm. That poor man, some years before he passed, was reduced to working as a security guard. Yeah. That's just sad. But he yep. was he, he was an iconic actor. He's got his place in, in television history, no doubt. So rest in peace. Yep. Any hoot, chugging right along on the tracks as we always do. We shall roll into the WTFs of the week. What yeah. do you have on your plate? I have something exciting. Indeed. Um, according to the new reporting that has come out, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has accepted several luxury trips paid for by a GOP mega donor, and he has failed to disclose all of that stuff on his taxes like he is supposed to do. 
and all of their filings and all of that stuff. Uh, so basically, it just boils down to Clarence and his wife, Jenny, have gone on multiple, multiple, multiple trips throughout the year that have included trips to Indonesia, New Zealand, California, Texas, Georgia. Some of these tips, or trips were on Crow's super yacht or stays at properties that him or his company owns. I'm looking at this from CNN, but the the actual reporting comes from something called ProPublica. I had -hmm. never heard of it until this particular thing. Mm -hmm. And this apparently has happened similar quite a bit over the last 30 years. And um, by not disclaiming this, though, on his filings as a Supreme Court justice, he has actually broken the law. Breaking the law. Breaking the law. Yeah. And the only thing apparently that he has actually claimed is that in 2001, the Crows gifted Clarence Thomas Frederick Douglass's Bible that was worth $19,000. Jeez. They gave that precious heirloom to that guy? Yes. Ugh. And they donated $105,000 for a Clarence Thomas portrait fund. At Yale Law School, where Thomas is an alumnus. I just like saying that. Of course, he never disclosed that a lot of... And what did it say? That there have been multiple cases that this crow has funded that have gone before the Supreme Court that Thomas still ruled on, which he should not have ruled on because of a conflict of interest. And surprisingly, he always ruled on the side of crow. And then, of course, with all of the stuff that has come out about Ginny over the 2020 election... It just seems like it's a problem with them. And quite honestly, I feel that uh, he should be impeached or he should resign. But he's done enough now that uh, Democrats in the Senate are apparently not going to fund the Supreme Court unless they agree to ethics ethics conditions with harsh penalties if you break them. <laughs> the fact that he even got on the court to begin with is a wonder, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Right. I've, I've never, I've never cared for him in any, any, any way whatsoever because he's, he's so often taken advantage of his white adjacency. Right. Especially in the way that he's ruled over the years, but just in the way he acts or the way he moves. And this has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the fact that he's married Mm. to a white woman, but it is the woman that he's married to that has also been part of the problem these last couple of years. Yeah, and and why he wasn't his positions on certain thing wasn't addressed when all that came out. What the hell? Like if you if you can't even govern and hold members of the Supreme Court accountable, what's left? What the hell? I'm going to say that the very position of being a justice on the Supreme Court should probably mean that you should not break any laws. Just saying, if you're going to be the expert in the nation on the law. You should probably not break them. How about that? How about that? But okay. So now they've got people scrambling around saying, well, this is really, really that wrong. And how wrong is it? And what kind of wrong is it? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Justice Thomas is probably needs to no longer be on the Supreme Court. Considering the fact that this is what appears to be the second most unprecedented thing to happen in the last couple of weeks that someone of such that's that has held such a high position 
in the federal government is being accused of incre- incredibly questionable actions. And, you know, one is actually being held accountable for it or is in the progress of it. We'll see how that goes. And then now this. So these are things like, what do you do? How do you approach this? How do you handle these things? People are yeah. like scrambling because this shit is not supposed to happen and nobody knows what to do. I know. All, you know, this time last year when um, District Attorney Bragg dropped the case, you know, and two of his ADAs were like, no, nah, we quit because you said this is going to happen and now it's going to happen. We can't be here. He did it for a reason. And everybody was talking shit about him. And then here he comes a year later. He said, now we have a case. So yeah. whatever you thought I wasn't doing, shut up. I have it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's one of those things. Yes, it's unprecedented. Yes, it needed to happen. Just because it's never happened before doesn't mean it didn't need to happen. Right. I was going to say the reason it never happened is because nobody elected a mafia boss to be president before. Basically. Although Nixon was close. And yeah. Andrew Jackson also close. Oh, there's that. But I guess just because it's never happened before doesn't mean it can't happen. And why there has never been, and I imagine, I'll take it back. I haven't said it, but I'll take it back. I imagine there has always been somebody somewhere whispering quietly, we should do this if this happens. But they don't get no, they don't get no airtime. They don't get no play because everybody's like, no, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And now that guy or those seven people, or however many, knew that this was coming. They're all sitting back in their houses like, yep, told you. Now I didn't know what to do. They're, they're pissing all over themselves. Yep. But okay. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. I would probably follow this story closer than I would. I will follow the Cheetah Mussolini, even though those are probably the two biggest things going on. Well, the Cheetah Mussolini is probably the biggest thing going on right here in the States right now. But um, yeah. I need I need this Thomas business to get just as much airplay because this is not funny. No, it's not no. funny in, in the least to know that he is basically being paid for his vote. Yeah. It, how else does that look? Oh, hey, want to go to Indonesia for three weeks? I'll pay for the whole trip. Yeah, sure. But you have a case coming up, though. Mm, that part. OK, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, oh, this is America. Yeah, it's funny how, though, the group of people always bitching about, you know, liberal elites and the elites that are, you know, criminals and they're doing all of this junk. And over the last couple of years, it just seems that the only people that are the elitists breaking the law all seem to have an R by their name. Hey, isn't that a wonder? Yeah. Are they projecting any, maybe? Maybe. <laughs> just a smidge. Just a little just bit. A smidge. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Heaven. Yep. Well, let's move on to uh, your WTF. I'm sure that I hogged up the only thing going on in the news right now that you might have wanted to talk to Um, or talk about. I think I may have found something. You may have had to troll the old internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sigh. Unfortunately, listening friends, if you've been paying attention to the news, the last few weeks there has been yet another school shooting this time at a private school in Tennessee, which left three adults and three children dead. Yes. A group of students from nearby schools there in Tennessee 
left school, decided they wanted to um, protest out in front of the Tennessee State House. And participating in that protest were three Democratic lawmakers, state representatives, by the names of Justin Pearson, Gloria Johnson, and Justin Jones. They actually joined hands and went up to the front of the chamber with a bullhorn and protested with these children. And let me just be clear in case it's not, these children are protesting that they're scared out of their damn minds to go to school. Enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Enough is enough. Yes. There needs to be some common sense gun control, both on the state level, if not the federal level, but Tennessee, just like most other GLP states refuses to move the needle on that. Instead, they would like to say something like, oh, let's get the teachers to carry guns and let's build the little safe rooms inside the classrooms and let's put more uh, resource officers on duty at the schools instead of let's just see if we can't restrict access to some of the more deadlier weapons that are being commonly used in these things. Let's just see if we can do that. But no, somehow all the solutions go right around that most obvious one. And these kids came to the state house to tell these so-called lawmakers they are sick and tired and they're scared. And these the Democratic lawmakers stood up in protest with these kids. They were charged with disorderly conduct. And as we speak right now, the state house has voted one of them out. One has barely escaped expulsion. And I think the results are actually pending on the third Democratic person. And I should point out, as you probably noticed by the names, two are men, one is a woman. The two men just happen to be Black Americans. Yeah. And you can take it from me, even though there has not been, you know, as we sit here, a final word on the fate of the third congressperson, we pretty much know that they're going to expel him too. Yes. And this type of, 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 procedure expulsion like this is supposed to be only reserved for very serious crimes committed by lawmakers disorderly conduct because these three had the balls to stand up in solidarity with these kids that are scared for their lives and you call that disorderly conduct and you think that's enough to throw them out this is the most egregious demonstration of political retribution i have seen in a long time This is even worse than Kevin McCarthy, what he pulled. Oh, yeah. This is worse than that because this is so transparent that I don't know how the rest of these lawmakers can say it's anything but what it is. It's not what it looks like. It's what it is. It's retribution. And you're going after them because they have the nerve to be black. And you probably didn't want them there in the first place because of other reasons. You just found you just found a reason to finally kick them out. Okay. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if old Jim Jordan with his uh, committee on investigating the weaponization of the government is going to investigate this. Because this is real weaponization of the government, right? <laughs> I wonder yeah. if he's going to investigate. Oh, no, he's not going to because, you know, he's a horrible person. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. not doing horrible people justice. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. Just. I, I'm at a loss. <laughs> for words and that's rare but this one is like are you fucking kidding 
Like, yeah. seriously, are you kidding? They they fucked up. Yeah. They messed up with this one. They, they messed up with this one. And they're going to hear about it from these Tennesseans. They're going to hear about it. They better hear about it. Not just Tennesseans, the rest of the country, too, because, you know. But they, they need to be concerned about the citizens that put them in office. Yeah, yeah. And then as part of let's not forget that as part of this protest is going on, um, you can go and find it. Um, there's an actual Tennessee representative that went to talk to the kids. And it was basically what he was saying was, so what if we get rid of AR-15s? What guns would you like to be shot with then? I, I'm beginning to wonder, and I guess, I guess you think, I guess the, the, the so-called person that said this to this child thought he was being, you know, that he had a gotcha. Right. Like he was making some kind of a point. No, you are about two degrees removed from a, an actual human being because you're talking to a child yeah. who wants to be able to go to school without being scared for their lives. Yeah. How, how do you do this? How do you say that to some somebody's child with a straight face and think that you're making a point? Do you yeah. not understand that that kid is going to grow up one day and if they stay there, they're going to vote? And you may not see yourself in office too much longer, but you go ahead and say shitty things like that if you want to. We're already seeing the results of that. Gen yes. Z has grown up yes. having to do school shooting drills, kids getting shot. They grew up under the shadow of war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when they came out and voted uh, in the 2022 midterm, they voted at something like 90% Democrat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and stunts like this, do you want to make it 100% of Gen Z? Because that's what's coming. Because these, yeah. these kids aren't fucking around. Yeah. And it scared the GOP enough that they started talking about raising the voting age as if that wouldn't then just piss them off even further. Uh huh. But like I it's it's always they always want to pull these half ass stop stop gap measures out of their asses to try to control the votes. And and of yeah. course, of course, while they're so busy trying to guard the front door, they left the back door wide open. Dumbasses. Yeah. I should I should point out that um, in Tennessee, expulsion votes are so rare. They've only had to vote twice to expel members. In 1980, against a sitting lawmaker who was convicted of soliciting a bribe. And in 2016, another to remove a majority whip who was facing allegations of sexual misconduct. Yep. But in these particular, in those cases, both parties strongly agreed to the expulsions. In the expulsions that happened today, the, the the vote was split along party lines. Yeah, because it was a bullshit vote. Yep. You know, and then to and then to have the House Speaker say this is like January sixth. Yeah, right. Because they're going to stop you know an election from occurring because of your crook cult leader is telling you to go and do this. This is kids fighting for their lives to live. Mm. You know. They just need to be heard. Right. Yeah. And, and the fact that you have some actual human beings that work amongst you that are willing to stand with them, all of a sudden they've disrupted business and it's, it's, it's tantamount to an insurrection. My ass, my ass is insurrection. How about that? Right. But you had to go in there and make, make up this clown shit. Just so you could get two of the black members of the house out because that's probably what you wanted all along. But okay, 
that's fine. We'll we'll see where this goes. We'll see if there's special elections that come up here shortly. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But but go ahead. They're they're gonna hear about it. They better hear about it. I I I need I need Tennesseans to be very concerned about this. And can the people they just kicked out are they barred from holding public office again, or can they run again? I don't know, but I did see somewhere that it's possible they may have to have special elections. So it may, it may be possible, or there may be some some who knows what loophole in the in, in their state constitution that allows these expulsions to be overridden by someone else higher up, maybe the governor. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. But all I know is at this moment, they fucked up. Yeah. Listening friends, it's a good thing I don't have a better quality microphone because I've been shaking my head so much that <laughs> a better quality microphone, you could hear the rocks rattling around inside of there. So thank God I don't have <laughs> that because I have been shaking my head since I started with Thomas, but Mm -hmm. still in Tennessee is actually actually is more is actually scarier than the Thomas thing because this is this is first state I don't know if it's first stage fascism it's probably second stage Mm. and right now state legislatures are really scarier than what's going on at the federal level because at least at the federal level they only have control of one house and the, Mm. the shitty crap will probably you know will die in the senate and even if it passed the senate Biden would veto it Mm-hmm. The problem is with these state houses, that doesn't happen because frequently they, if it's a two chamber uh, state legislature, they control both and they have the governor a lot of these. So everything just sort of walks its way on through. And that's what happens here in Oklahoma. I think our house has 99 seats. No, it's 101 seats. And I believe something like 85 of them are Republican. Mm-hmm. And so they pretty much do whatever they want it's actually such a big majority that rural republican legislatures and urban republican legislatures are who fight now in fighting and then <laughs> even i mean because we're we're seeing that to an extent not as big of an extent but we're seeing it to, and it, to an extent the federal level but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because we've got we've got this crap going on in places like uh Tennessee. And should I point out the WTF I had from a few weeks ago about the uh, Kentucky senator that was trying to push the bill about banning drag shows? That failed. Mm. But now we have the sanctimonious in Florida letting everybody know, yes, you may carry firearms whenever, wherever you feel like it. And you don't need nothing but free will and $300. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I don't know if you saw this too. It's related to shitty Republican state legislatures that in Kansas, they had the, we can examine every kid that wants to do sports genitals Mm -mm. and it passed both houses. The governor vetoed it and then it went back and they overrode the veto. But yeah, go ahead, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Call all Democrats groomers when it's your party that wants to look at everyone's, you know, genitals. You gotta be fucking kidding me. Nope. And I think it's Idaho that passed a bill that now makes it illegal to go to other states to get certain medical procedures. Papers, papers. That's that's why I'm saying, are we, I don't know if we're first stage or second stage fascism here at state levels, but we're definitely there. 
It might be somewhere in between and in, in trending upward. Yeah. Good Lord. We should have a fascism watch now every week. That would be frightening. I don't know. Never mind. I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'll just, I'll just stockpile pork and beans and jello and just get ready. I just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, uh, in the meantime. <laughs> let's have a Bud Light. That's a whole other. <laughs> That's a whole other. Oh my God. It's a whole other story. Listening friends. We're going to, we're going to reroute the train because we'll be on this all night. We're yeah. Trying to, we're trying to keep it light. I think just there's there's always going to be stuff going on as you you've just heard, but we try to we kind of want to trend a little bit on the lighter side of things. So you know, we we just sort of feel like right now with all the sort of layers and la- the the onion of shitty things happening in America right now. This is a big onion. You know when mm-hmm. they have like those fourteen thousand pound pumpkin competitions. This is the onion we're dealing with right now, and we you peel it off a little, and you're like, okay, we've got through this oh, shit. There's more, yeah. And so we decided to do our part to save the world. We were going to talk about something a little more lighthearted today, indeed. And before we get into that, though, I would like to point out two very, very uh, brief things, important things, but I'll, I'll speak briefly on them. Ramadan started last month, March twenty third. And we'll end this month, April the 21st. And that is uh, an Islamic religious ceremony that lasts for 30 days and involves fasting from sunup to sundown. So shout out to our Muslim brothers and sisters. And Passover started today. And we'll yep. end a week from today. So shout out to our Jewish brothers and sisters. We see you. There yeah. And Easter is Sunday morning. Indeed. Well, I guess it's actually Sunday the whole day. Yes. yes. Shout out to all the y'alls, whatever you observe, or if you observe nothing but Sunday, y'all too. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw this out here at Easter. If you have kids that once they get about 13, you know, the whole going looking for eggs is really sort of a little young for their teenagerness. I made a deal with my kids at a certain point, and it was basically this. How would you feel if the morning after Easter, we went to the, got up early, went to the grocery store when all the candies marked down super duper cheap to get rid of it. And we just bought you two or three bags each of candy. And they were like, yes, let's do that. So let me throw that out there to you. That's what I do on the day after Valentine's day. So yeah, I'm good with that. So anyway, <laughs> with that, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be we'll be back. Hey listening friends, Jack here. And I would like to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode. And that sponsor is Atlas. Atlas is a branding, web development and content marketing agency. As a business owner, your day-to-day is uncharted enough. From branding and web design to content marketing, Atlas will help you navigate this digital terrain with ease. In today's world, social media is a great tool. However, you need to have a concrete, focused plan on how to use it. And that's where Atlas comes in. Atlas can help you navigate this modern digital world. And on top of that, Atlas can also help you with traditional means of marketing. So if you would like to book your free consultation 
please visit atlasokc.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-O-K-C.com for your free consultation. And we're back. It was an amazing break. We hope whatever ad there was, you enjoyed it. But today we're going to talk about something that, at least to us, is interesting. We are going to talk about a movie that we both both enjoy, but was either not popular with critics or, for whatever reason, just didn't do well in theaters. And that is what we are going to discuss. I am not sure, because last week we did music. So you went first last, so it, it would be me. Yes, sir. So I'm going to talk about a movie that I actually did not see until probably 2010-ish. And by then it was already four years old. Mm-hmm. And that is a little movie called Aquila and the Bee. Mm-hmm. And the, the way I sort of watched the movie was it was on a channel. I came into the room. I couldn't find the remote when I sat down. I was too lazy to get up and look for the remote. So I just watched what was on TV. Aquila and the Bee came on. And I enjoyed the hell out of that movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not even, you know, it's a good movie when it's a movie about spelling. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. <laughs> like, like you're all, te- you're all in the tension. Like, <laughs> she gonna get it? She, she Yes. <laughs> She's gonna do it. She's gonna do it. She's, yes. <laughs> and ironically enough, some of the, um, well, the movie stars, let me real quick say, the movie stars uh, Kiki Palmer. She was uh, like 11 when it filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also has, um, dang it, uh, Angela Bassett played her mother. And then her spelling coach was played by Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, but the cast also has, as the school principal, um, Curtis Armstrong, also known as Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Good to see that old Booger straightened up a little bit and quit being so gross. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as Lawrence Fish, Fishburne's character is teaching Aquila. He points out certain spelling rules or whatever. And after watching that movie, my spelling actually got better. Because <laughs> now all of a sudden you're just thinking about it. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Okay. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I never. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just sort of liked it. And um, Kiki Palmer, she, she does an amazing job in that role. Yes. Because um, the way her, I'm sure this is common with everybody that does the competitive spelling, which is kind of funny to say, but competitive spelling. She had to like either move her hand to like a beat as she was spelling or tap her foot or something like that. And if she wasn't able to do that, it was almost like panic attack inducing for her, mm-hmm. for her character. And um the fact that she was just like reading the dictionary to learn to spell was amazing and how she met the other spelling contestants. And it's like this strange little world that I'm sure probably actually exists in that spelling competition universe. I believe it. Like anytime you watch these movies that focus on competitions of of a little known type, 
all of a sudden you start thinking, I guess so. That makes perfect sense. Like um, the competition they have with people that ride around on the, the stick horses. Right. The stick horse equestrians. That's a thing. Yeah. It looks absolutely ridiculous, but these people take it as seriously as they need to. It's a thing. Or air I, guitar competitions. That part. These people take it seriously. They have social media groups. They take it seriously. Although comparing a spelling bee to either one of those two things, I take the spelling bee far more seriously. But these are things. So well, yes. you, you need spelling's kind of important in life. True. Being so able to play the air guitar is not. It's just fun, I guess. But you see, there's people that take that dead serious. Dead yeah. serious. Yep. So, yeah. I like the movie because it was one of those instances where we, we as black folks got to see black folks doing absolutely ordinary things that had to do with education. We weren't, yeah. we weren't getting a whole lot of that. Even in the year that that movie came out, we weren't getting a whole lot of those kind of representations. And I loved it. And you're right. Kiki Palmer was, she was a little fireball. She still is. She's, she's a great actress. Yeah, but she was something else in that. She was she's so spunky, and I just I just adored her character. That was that's that makes me want to put that on my list for a rewatch really soon. Because yeah, yeah, it, I actually have that movie. I like that movie so much. I went and purchased it on. Uh, oh yeah, I can't DVD or Blu-ray. I don't. Anyway, I went and bought it because I liked it so much, and Ooh. I was like, "Hey, this is good." The funny thing, though, or well, not the funny thing. The interesting thing is when we were discussing doing this and I was sort of thinking, what movie do I want to talk about? And I thought, I want to talk about Akilah and the Bee because it's a great movie. and A lot of people have probably never even heard of the damn thing. Mm. But then I started thinking about the movie and I sort of realized that like the B plot of the movie kind of tied in with something that we've talked about before. And that is how the circle or the cycle of poverty affects all aspects. Because when you watch that movie, it is a perfect example of uh, the plot B with her mother Mm -hmm. who was dealing with that uh, Mm -hmm. circle of poverty. Mm -hmm. And because that was affecting her so much, she didn't necessarily see the value in doing spelling competitions. Right. And so it sort of set up this other thing and it just sort of tied in to me of this is sort of a, you know, a fictional example of a real world problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can tell you, you know, from experience that when you're a single parent, your mind is primarily attuned to the practicalities, you know, right? going to work, paying the bills, buying the groceries and, and cooking. And even though, you know, any parent worth their salt, whether you're on your own or with somebody raising that child, your primary focus is to make sure that you raise that child as well as you can and that they get everything that they need, including a good education. But something like a spelling bee, even though obviously it falls right in the realm of education, it's something that's not supposedly necessary. So it's not something right. that you think should be prioritized until you see how much your kid gets out of it then everything changes. Right. Which is what happens in that movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When I first watched it, the first several times I watched it, I always kind of thought, man, the mom, why is she so against this? Now I realize it's because she was dealing with that, you know, being in that poverty cycle and she was Mm -hmm. just exhausted. Mm -hmm. And that was just one more thing. 
Yep. Sometimes you don't want to do that one more thing. Trust me. <laughs> Trust <Yeah>. me. <laughs> and um, ironically, well, maybe not ironically enough, it actually now makes me like that movie even more <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it that is such a fictionalized example of a real world problem. That we often, that through whatever circumstance, parents that raise their child singularly don't often get the luxury of letting their child indulge in extracurriculars. Yeah. And it, it may be because they can't afford them. It may be because, you know, taking their child to, let's say, go practice like something for a spelling bee or gymnastics or ice skating. Either the place they go practice is too far out or the lessons are too expensive or the uniforms are too, or something. It's almost always having to do with either time or money that makes those kinds of things out of reach sometimes. Yeah. Or just even trying to figure out somebody to take the kid to the thing and pick the kid up from the thing. True. You know, maybe it, you can afford it. Maybe you actually can afford it, but getting the kids there and back is the mm-hmm. issue. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it's compounded when you have other kids that may be younger than the kid that wants to do all these things. And now you have to make arrangements for either somebody to take your kid or to stay with the other kids. There's all these things that work into this that unfortunately get neglected. Like I said, when it's just a one parent household. So, yeah. And I, I, I agree with you that it was it was it's, it is a good representation of how that can affect uh, not just a child's education, but their their well-roundedness, I guess you could say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I haven't appreciated sort of, I guess it would be maybe plot C, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, a lot of the sort of gangbangers that lived in that neighborhood at first, they too thought it was stupid. Mm-hmm. But there at the end, they were all coming up to her all the time and throwing words at her, spell that, you know, and she would mm-hmm. have to spell it to them. Mm-hmm. And she like became almost like... Uh, I don't know, like a hero to the, yeah. to the neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. And and I appreciated that as well, that yeah. it turned everybody and it's because of spelling. <laughs> like it, it, it's, it's the sweetest plot. It really is. And, and listening friends, we probably should have said at the beginning, mild spoilers. <laughs> but if you, if I don't think it would be too hard of a stretch to imagine how this movie ends, but we're not gonna we're not gonna say definitively one way or the other. We're just gonna tell you to go see it. So. Yeah. She actually turns into a spy, goes to Russia, brings down Vladimir Putin with her ability to spell. And gets indoctrinated into the same organization that raised and trained John Wick. Okay. So <laughs> there you go. That'll get you to watch the movie. <laughs> except I'm sorry, except John Wick was from Belisaurus. Isn't that what they said? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, Go so, see that movie too. Um. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, if you can, seriously, it's, I think it's only a couple, I don't even think it's, I think it's like an hour and a half long movie, but mm-hmm. it it's definitely worth it. It It's a great little movie, great acting performances by everyone involved. Um, Man, literally, I, you've got, you've got a stat cast there. Yeah. Angela Bassett. There are some scenes where she's pretty damn emotional mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the way she portrays it. You would almost, it was almost like no acting. Everybody did a great job in this movie. And I know that it, maybe it's a niche film or something. I don't know, but it's definitely worth, worth watching. And you should probably come away and think, Oh, wow. That is a really good movie. Why did mm-hmm. I never hear of this movie? 
Yeah, yeah. I, there's, depending on the movie and what kind of phase Hollywood is in at any given time, tells you what kind of movies they'll push and then what kind of movies they'll put out there because, eh, you know, we'll just see what happens. This is one of those, let's see what happens. But for people who enjoy these kind of human interest stories and these kind of, um, I guess, character-driven stories, it's a must-watch. It's a must-watch. So, Yeah. Let's see. I'm looking it up now. It said it's opening weekend. It only grossed a little over $6 million. Hmm. Apparently, it cost $25 million to produce and market the film. Uh, well, another one says $20 million. So We'll just go with the higher number. You know, that $6 million is the first weekend. Who knows how much it made in other things. Uh, so I don't know if it broke even or not. Oh, actually, it, I guess it did. Looking a little further, it did break even. But anyway, that's my mm-hmm. movie. Go check it out. Go watch it. And you'll be pretty impressed. And if you're not, um, you're wrong. <clears throat> Correct. <laughs> good movie. That's a good pick. That's a good pick. The movie I wanted to talk about made scads of money. Critics hated it. Yes. And for reasons I completely understand, it does not keep me from loving it and watching it at least once a year when it drops on some streaming service. Matter of fact, I'm overdue for a rewatch for 2023. <laughs> that movie is. 1998's Armageddon, the huge action multi-starred, I guess you could say, stat cast with everybody you could think of that was big there in the mid to late 90s. Um, Yes. I guess our headliner in this movie is Bruce Willis, who played the owner of an um, uh, ocean oil drilling company, who with his team gets recruited to go up in space to drill a hole to blow an asteroid apart, which is the size of Texas, before it hits the planet and kills us all. Just like Ben Affleck apparently said in the DVD commentary, and, and other people have said in, in the years since, wouldn't it be easier to train astronauts to learn how to drill than it would be to train drillers to be astronauts? Who cares? It's a great movie. <laughs> right? Ben got a check. Everybody got a check. And by everybody, I mean not just Bruce, not just Ben, but Liv Tyler. Um, Her dad, Steven. (laughs) Her dad, yeah, all the Aerosmith songs in there. Uh, Our man, Billy Bob Thornton. I don't care what you say. Billy Bob Thornton is a national treasure. I don't care about that marriage to Angelina Jolie. It doesn't matter. Will Patton, who is probably not a, he's not an A-lister, but you have seen this man. And you have yes. heard this man because he makes mad money doing uh, audiobooks. Fantastic, fantastic audio artist. Um, also, the man on the street, uh, Steve Buscemi, and the late great Michael Clark, Clark Duncan. Duncan. So, yes, that is the premise of the movie. Spoilers Bruce Willis and his oil drilling crew get trained to go up in space to um, blast apart a huge asteroid before it hits the Earth. Do they succeed? I'm going to tell you this, listening friends. This movie came out in 1998. And if you have not seen it by now, I don't know what to tell you. Yes, they succeed. Here's the fun part. Immediately as the movie came out, you did not have to be a rocket scientist or work at NASA or be a geologist or anything remotely like that to know this was completely improbable. Didn't matter. 
it's a fun time at the movies. Yep. That's all I can say. That's all <laughs> and I that can was, say. That was the first of two Asteroids Hitting the Earth movies that came out that year. Correct. And this was the funner one. Yeah. Uh, they did not have a president in this one. But mm-hmm. in the uh, other one, of course, the president was played by one Mr. Morgan Freeman. He should always play the president, either the president or God, because he's done both. So he should always do that. But yes, Deep Impact was far more serious. I didn't care for it as much, partly because of who they had in the lead, Tia Leone. Mm-hmm. Ah, some about her. But it was a far more serious uh, movie yeah. than was Armageddon. But to each his own. I appreciate the storyline and deep impact because there was a lot of family drama that was going on there. Armageddon, these weren't deeply drawn characters. They were fun characters, but not deeply drawn. There were certain ones out of the main cast that stood out. Um, Obviously, Bruce, obviously Ben and Liv Tyler, Steve Buscemi, who was apparently like a genius. Um, But he also had a serious issue with um, women and drinking. These are just. He liked the strippers. He did. He did. And I won't say this movie is chock full of quotable quotes. There are some good ones, but I think it was more a visual movie than anything. Cause I want to say it was great special effects, great special effects. It was directed by Michael Bay who directs a lot of action movies. Bad boys yes. uh, was one of the, or the bad boy series or some of them. He's a great action director. He knows how to frame action scenes. So there's a lot of great, uh, particular scenes in the movie. Yeah. Did all the Transformer movies? Yes. I've never seen a one, but yes, he did. Um, <laughs> but this this one holds, it holds a special place in my heart. It does. When they're training, they bring all the drill and drill clue to, uh, to NASA to train them. And they're going through their physicals and tests and things. And they're they're absolutely ridiculous in those scenes. It's like one of those montage scenes and there's yeah. <laughs> nonsense. And then um, they tried to throw some, some little drama in there because Ben Affleck's character and Liv Tyler's characters are, you know, dating. They were trying to date in secret, but Ben Affleck worked for Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis is Liv Tyler's dad in the movie. He didn't approve of these things, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, by the end of the movie, Bruce Willis has sacrificed himself for the entire world, his daughter and his would have been son-in-law. Yep. So, but no, there's absolutely no way in the world that you could blast apart an asteroid the size of Texas and blast it in enough pieces so they would bypass the Earth. Scientists proved this almost immediately after this movie came out. It doesn't matter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep yeah yeah do i believe yeah. that bob thornton could work for nasa yes i do <laughs> yes i do i believe that wholeheartedly deep inside to this day how many years later 20 yeah 25 years later i still believe it i still believe it it could happen it one of my happen. favorite scenes is when they're after they're at NASA and they have a list of demands if they're going to do it. And my favorite part is we don't want to pay taxes ever. ever. <laughs> who was it that wanted to spend, spend the night at the white house in the Lincoln bedroom? I can't remember who that was. And then um, Will Patton's character wanted the, the, the emperor, the Caesar's package. 
yeah. at Vegas at one of the Vegas <laughs> hotels. I'm like, y'all need to be talking big stuff. And you know, not having to pay taxes ever is like the least that you know the world, the United States and the world would owe them. But I'm like, y'all need to be asking for like big shit, like houses. <laughs> property right stocks something <laughs> everybody owes you if you pull this off the entire world owes you ask for anything you want <laughs> not paying taxes for the rest of your life is the least of it matter of fact ask for all the taxes that you've already paid back but <laughs> <laughs> you said stocks because that came out in 99 Mm. It would have just been so hilarious if they put in that money, you know, or in that movie, something like, we would like to own a thousand shares of Enron stock. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, they can follow Forrest Gump's leading. Like, what's By Apple? This, a fruit company? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I, it's, this movie is never not going to be one of my, my favorites, regardless of genre. It's always going to be big fun for me yes i dig it and i've never i won't say never been a fan of ben affleck he's not one of my favorite actors this is one of my favorites of his even though his act his acting is kind of mid-level ish he's gotten better over the years if you haven't seen the accountant you need to but yeah this was not my favorite role of mine but for some reason he makes his his character kind of endearing even if he is hard-headed. Because, like, how are you going to have a whole temper tantrum about not being able to lead one of the crews to blast apart the asteroid? Okay, we're talking about problems bigger than your pride, man. Nobody cares about that. Just get up there and get the job done. Hmm? That's right. But I do enjoy the line where, you know, the two shuttles are trying to make their landing on the asteroid, and one of them, you know gets messed up and they think they pretty much lost it. They think they lost everybody on that shuttle later on. They find out not, but then the other shuttle that does land successfully overshoots its landing and lands on an area that they can't drill into. And Steve Buscemi's character, the genius says, well, yeah, you landed us on, you know, iron plate and blah, 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 blah. You know, we're X amount of kilometers past the landing point. And the pilot's like, how do you know that? Cause I'm a genius. That was his answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was straight faced about it because I'm a genius. That's why. And he was a genius. Yeah. He was just everything else was, you know, up for debate. <clears throat> you know, geniuses, too, can be alcoholics who like strippers. I mean, these things are not exclusive. I have to wonder what Albert Einstein did on his all days. I don't think, think we want to know the answer to that. Think about Jeff Goldblum's character in The Fly. Genius. Socially awkward. I'm Very. willing to bet if you look at that movie now, and I'm completely jumping tracks, if you go back and look at his character now, you could safely say that his character was probably on the spectrum. Probably. Because he was utterly socially awkward. Did he could not read social cues to save his life. And then of course him getting merged with the DNA of a fly did him no favors. So Yeah, that's generally not uh not good that is also one of my favorites in that i don't know we'll put a pin in it we might come to back and have a theme show on that anyway but armageddon is my pick so listening friends again if you haven't seen it please do and i know i just gave you a whole heap with spoilers but i just gave you the general plot 
yeah. I didn't give any, I didn't give any specifics away, but it's all the little things that make up this, this story that make the movie a fun watch. And it really yeah. does have some really good, like you said, special effects. So. And, and unlike Akila and the Bee, this movie made a buttload of money. A butt. Let's look up the numbers. Let's do that. My apologies. I didn't have that handy, but let's look that up. Um, it was released on July 4th. I mean, excuse me, July 1st, 1998. Ranked first at the box office with an opening weekend gross of $36 million, which in 1998 was a big deal. Yes. Um, combined with $54.2 million from its first five days. It grossed just over $200 million in the U.S. and Canada. And 352 million other territories for a worldwide total of 553.7 million dollars. It was the highest grossing film of 1998, and the second highest grossing film of that year in the United States, finishing just behind. Can you take a guess? What year? 98. Yes. Oh my gosh. I I can't. Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Which is also one of my faves. And I'm not a fan of war movies, just because. But that is an excellently portrayed war movie. Yes. I think the consensus was, especially among vets from World War II, that the opening scene was like the most realistic they had ever seen. And when I tell you that still holds up, and, and that's... Hard to say, considering that the the level of of graphicness, but that opening scene still holds up, and it's a beautifully done movie. So, but yeah, that was that was first in the U.S. that year, and Armageddon was second. As far as the reviews, and yes, it was reviewed badly. Thirty eight percent in Rotten Tomatoes, um, out of one hundred and twenty five reviews. <laughs> so that tells you something, and. Uh, the critical consensus states, lovely to look at, but is but about as intelligent as the asteroid that serves as the movie's antagonist. Armageddon slickly sums up the cinematic legacies of producer Jerry Bruckheimer and director Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the film is on the list of Roger Ebert's most hated films. And rest in peace, Roger Ebert. He's he was one of the best, and I still read reviews from his site because they have a fantastic slate of reviewers. But Ebert said in his original review, quote, the movie is an assault on the eyes, the ears, the brain, common sense, and the human desire to be entertained. <laughs> oh, wow. That's my dude. Oh, so he loved it. <laughs> he did. Well, this was when. I think this is on when him and, and Gene Siskel were still doing Siskel and Ebert. Um, of course, Ebert gave it thumbs down, but Siskel gave it a thumbs up and he found the movie amusing. So, but um, yeah, all those things are true. It is an assault on the intelligence because you know full well, as I stated earlier, you do not have to be an expert in any of these things to know none of this is possible. Who cares? Right. <laughs> Who cares if I can always get a backlit silhouette of Owen Wilson riding horseback across the plains while being pursued by helicopters? I'll take it. 
I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. It, I always, I know with certain movies going into it that it's not meant to be like a world shattering, life changing film. And Armageddon is one of those films. Correct. Because you go into it knowing that, that makes it enjoyable. I so. think, and that's true. You you have to set a certain expectations with stuff. And I mean, it was it was a big deal when it came out, especially when the trailers hit. Um, you know, it's Michael Bay. That's his thing. Big, huge action movies. You know, it had there were high expectations, and then you get into it and you realize this shit can't happen. Never mind the stellar cast. But you know, you got kind of shallow characterizations. You got an impossible uh, plot. And you do have a possibility of Billy Bob Thornton working at NASA. I will never give that up. But <laughs> all of that doesn't matter. And I guess this is maybe what, you know, Michael Bay counted on, the filmmakers counted on. We're going to make this so freaking entertaining. You're not going to worry about the fact this can never happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you just actually made me think of this. Um, two movies that I really, really enjoy. I discovered because I was too lazy to get up and go and grab the remote. Akila and the Bee. And the other one is The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a weeper. <laughs> so I was home alone. Uh, Heather and M were somewhere. I go to sit down. Can't find the remote. The movie starts. I'm just like, okay. I kind of, I'm like, oh, this isn't that bad. I see why Heather and M and uh, Heather's sister enjoyed it. Because they had all read the book, went and saw it in the movie theater, watched it a couple times, and it was on TV. So I start watching. like, okay, I see why they like it. And so they come home with like 20 minutes left in the film, maybe 10. Somewhere it was, it was toward the end. At this point, I'm like in the movie. And Heather and M come in, and they start talking. And I'm all raising my hand, and I'm all, <laughs> And they're like, what? And then Heather looks at me and she goes, are you crying? And I'm like, no, <laughs> what the hell are you watching? And she comes in and she goes, oh, yes, <laughs> it got you, didn't it? <laughs> she was all, I would have been worried if you weren't. <laughs> like, are you human? <laughs> and I was like, leave me alone. I'm weeping. That was, that was, that was a sweet movie. That was a sweet movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, two of my movies that I really enjoy were I watched because I couldn't find the remote. I mean, things happen exactly the way they were supposed to happen. Yeah. And actually, number three on that list is Pitch Perfect. Yeah. A movie yeah. that I am completely not part of the demographic they were aiming for. Me neither. I love the hell out of that movie. I was just looking for something random one day <laughs> on one of the streamers. I was like, I've heard about this movie. Click. And then, you know, 25 minutes in, I'm like, oh, this is good. You know, because I had just come off of, I think it came out before the show Glee, but I had been a fan of Glee at least for like first three or four seasons. So I liked the idea of, of Glee clubs. So mm -hmm. I sat down and said, let me see. It just catches me. And it caught me. I was like, I need these girls to win. This is great. What the hell? <laughs> Yeah, and then I, then when Pitch Perfect Two was coming out, I was I was torn because I'm like, do I want to go see it in the theater and be like the only plus forty year old there? Maybe not. 
maybe not. You'd be surprised at people that show up at, at certain movies. Right. I think me and my mom were the only ones in the theater when we had to go see John Wick the other week. That's crazy. We had a good time. We were doing a lot of laughing. We might have been the only ones laughing. That says something about us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, but there you go. Listening friends, just a little lighthearted take. And we, we talk about pop culture because, you know, that's a human thing. That's, that's something we create out of all the things we like and love and obsess about. That's what it is. Yeah. Next week. We don't even know what we're going to do next week. Movies. Music, books, stick horse riding competitions, air guitar competitions. What's that one that's in the Olympics where they have where they have to smooth down the ice and push? That's the big curling. Puck? Curling, yes, curling competitions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Strongman competitions. I don't, who knows? Yeah, it's one of two great sports to come out of Scotland. The other one being golf. There and while go. I'm on it as we're recording this today is national tartan day so happy tartan day if you're of scottish descent what does that involve tartan day is a celebration of being a scottish heritage and it involves everybody wearing your kilt or something with your particular family's tartan on it Hmm. or you know a tie uh trues trues are the tartan pants Mm. Um, oh yeah yeah okay I considered wearing my kilt today to work, uh, but I just decided I didn't want to go through the effort of putting all that goes on with the kilt on. <laughs> I okay. It would have required me getting up a half hour earlier, finding my sporn and my kilt hose. Mm-hmm. I think we may have to talk, you know, in depth about this on a future date. So, yes. yeah. Have we said so, that before? We might have said that. Yeah. Before. Anyway, okay. happy Tartan Day, everybody. Indeed. Indeed. We are a world family here. And as we remember him, we will recognize significance everywhere we can. So listening friends, as always, we thank you most hugely for joining us again. If you like us and we hope you do since you're here, if you like us, love us, or just know that we give you something to think about which is our main goal on our socials, like our posts, share our posts, comment our posts. The more you engage, the more that they'll show up around the social media verse. And that means we will grow and expand our happy little listening family. So look out and help us with that. At the same time, if you would like to financially contribute, as we continue to grow and expand and, and contributing to us will allow us to expand into more shows, more projects, and hopefully ways to show you, our listening friends, our appreciation for keeping up with us for so long. If you care to donate in that regard, either a reoccurring or one time, you can do so at buymeacoffeealtogether.com slash pods. We would appreciate it. And that particular fund also covers Jack's solo podcast, Musings of an ADD Mind, also, which can be found on most major uh, podcast platforms. Anywhere you find us, you'll find Musings. So get on the ball, listen, share, like, comment, engage, tell your friends, neighbors, stray cats, cows in the field, horses at the zoo, and the giraffes. Let them all know. We're here. Yes. 
and we continue the fight. <laughs> that we do. And with that, friends, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, hit that like button and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Let us hear your feedback. You can find us on our website, podpage.com slash kenyatta-jack-save-the-world. On Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W. On Facebook, or you can email us at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. You can also find further information about our chosen charities at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. And because we always want you to be good to yourselves and others, if you or anyone you know needs help or support, please check out the resources provided by the American Psychological Association at apa.org slash topics slash crisis dash Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a production of Hyper Focus Podcasts.